Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, the latest installment of our Nerdy Job series is all about a sleep scientist. What everyone says is, oh, you should do a case study on me. And if you've ever sat next to a psychologist on an airplane and said that, we've heard it many times. (laughs) But first, let's sit back and unwind with two excellent humans. With us this week, we have the co-hosts of the podcast, The Daily Fail, Maura Curry and Kristen Hi, you two. Hello, Greta. Hi. Okay, so it is the first week of August and the entire planet is coming off of what scientists are saying is the hottest July since records have been kept. This is deeply alarming on a number of levels from like the human survival level to even just my own personal comfort. So I'm wondering, how are you two staying cool, Kristen? Yeah, well, I've had environmental anxiety ever since I was a wee little kid. I've worried about this my entire life. Oh, God. This last month, it's just been absolutely terrible. Yeah, the smoke from Canada coming down to New York, uh, people in my sister's state of Arizona literally dying in the streets from the heat. It is awful. It's just terrible. And one thing that I know to be true is that big structural changes are really what's required. But I still Mm -hmm. do believe in personal responsibility. I do believe that we should, you know, buy less plastic. I do believe that we should not have our AC turned down to 64 degrees, which I just learned this past week that that is the temperature that most people supposedly prefer their AC to be at. That's cold. And I tweeted about that. And I said, what is wrong with you monsters? The planet is burning. Why is your AC at 64? (laughs) And oh boy, did that get some people upset. They said, Mm -hmm. how dare you tell me how cold my apartment should or shouldn't be. It's my right to have my house any temperature I want to. Maybe you should start blaming industry and stop blaming individuals. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I really made a lot of people mad when I tweeted about that. I mean, I get it. I think it's a really complicated one. I am like such a warm sleeper that I do need it to be colder. And I think especially Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. since the pandemic, when I'm more likely to wake up in like an anxiety spiral in the middle of the night, I'm kind of I'm trying to do as many things as I can to just be able to sleep through the night. You know, if I'm waking in a sweat, it's a cold sweat. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So on like a much more superficial level, is there like a sweet cold treat or something that you really love treating yourself to when it is that hot? I'm an iced coffee girl. Mm-hmm. I can't help. I can't help it. I can't Hopefully. stop myself. I know that caffeine is allegedly dehydrating you. That is not my problem. <laughs> I'm an iced coffee girl. <laughs> what about you, Kristen? I also love the iced coffee. And something else mm-hmm. I love is to have a stack of frozen washcloths in the freezer. Oh, that's And brilliant. if I ever am just really yep. overheated, like I go out usually pretty early in the morning for a morning walk. And when I come back, I'm frequently just drenched in sweat. 
take out one of those frozen washcloths, set it on my chest or my face and scream for a few seconds because it's so freaking cold and just enjoy being cooled off for a second. Everybody put a stack in their freezer. Enjoy it. That's really smart. I think I've just been like trying to dissociate as much as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sleep on popsicles either. I will say like I keep popsicles in my freezer as a grown up. And I have never not once regretted having those at my disposal. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So I also want to talk to y'all about a study that came out recently because this one is so fascinating. It overturns one of the most classic tropes about why women should stay home. You've heard it before in ancient times, men went out and hunted for food and the women were their caretaking and demure gatherers. Turns out that is extremely not the case. The findings from this study say that in 79% of the society's for which there is data, women were doing hunting. I love this so much. There's a quote from the NPR article about this that says grandmas were the best hunters of the village. Uh, So what do y'all think? Does this make you want to go hunting? I mean, I am so glad that we can dispel this sort of ingrained Mm -hmm. idea that men are naturally predisposed for violence. And that is why we should tolerate it when men are violent toward women, because they just can't help it because they're the hunters. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would love it if we could get rid of that perception entirely. So I love this for that reason. Um, Do I want to go hunting personally? No. (laughs) But mad respect to the ladies who do. Absolutely. I think we should be equal opportunity killers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is a really interesting one because I do think, to your point, Maura, like the extent to which this is actually going to change these long conceived notions is really interesting. And I think also like it definitely, I mean, this is also all about toxic masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could argue no one is served by these like extreme gender roles. What do you think, Kristen? I think it just backs up what we've known all along Mm. as a royal watcher. I think about how 400 years of aristocracy, this is what ladies love to do, ride side saddle Mm. and kill animals, you know? Women have been doing this for hundreds of years. So it makes sense that the highest ranking women in the world, you know, Queen Elizabeth was doing this. I'm not really surprised. Yeah. And I think of other animals too, right? Like in lion prides, Mm. the boy lions are sitting around lounging and the queens go out and hunt. Mm-hmm. Right? It's yeah. not an unknown phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty delightful. So Kristen, you say you're not surprised. Are you surprised it took experts this long to figure it out? Oh, no. These experts. I mean, <laughs> look at who's allowed to call themselves an expert. Look who's allowed right. in the academy. Who's allowed to wear the white coat? You know, yeah. for most of human history, ladies aren't even allowed in the room to um, speak, look at the data be taken seriously. Women weren't even allowed in the room. So of course, the men are going to interpret things in a way that is informed by perhaps their own experiences or biases or whatnot. So I'm not surprised by that. But I will say, I I love this idea of men as the gatherers, um, because I think it's very sweet when men do that kind of work, right? I, I was trying to think of like modern likenesses to this hunter-gatherer dynamic. And the best I could come up with is like when you send a man to the store for something specific and they come back with like a candy bar or something that they know you like, but you didn't ask for. And you're like, oh my God, little hunter-gatherer, I am so proud of you. Or like 
when a man sends me three memes in a row and they're all really funny. I'm like, wow, you did it, buddy. You're a gatherer. <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't think we're hunting and gathering for survival anymore, but it is a sweet gesture that I think all any and all genders can reciprocate for each other. I think that's beautiful. I love that so much. Okay. So for our last story, I actually want to talk about a story, Kristen, that you were recently in because (laughs) I just think this is delightful. So for those of you who don't know, in June, Kristen was featured in a New York Times story all about people who eat dinner in front of the TV. (laughs) And in the piece, there's like a picture of you literally sitting on your couch, like taking a bite of something. And I just love this so much because like this isn't like the profile of you for the book you wrote or like the really deep dive intense podcast you just made. It's like, I I just love the idea of New York times exposure for eating on your couch. (laughs) Did someone really like come to your house to take that picture of you eating on your couch? Yes. Yes. I was interviewed. Then a photographer came to my apartment and took pictures. They asked tons of questions about, you know, how do I feel about eating on the couch? What do I think the social and health (laughs) implications are? It's so amazing. I'm into it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. Do you consider this to be peak accomplishment or... Is it like intensely ironic for you? I think it's both. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was definitely the little kid who every Saturday morning woke up at 6 a.m., made my fort, hunkered down in front of the TV around mm. 10 a.m., went to the kitchen, made a Monte Cristo sandwich, climbed on the cupboards, <laughs> oh made my, my food, then brought it down to the fort and watched the second half of my cartoons. I've been eating in front of the TV ever since I was a little kid. And oh my God. I, I love it. And um, I, I will say there was a period in my life where I tried to step away from it. I tried to be above mm-hmm. it. I tried to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. learn more about the great arts and uh, you know, what is a mezzo soprano and what is cozy fontuti? And let's talk about the histories of Shakespeare. Let's talk about the great oeuvre of, you know, such and such composer. I cared about that stuff for a while. And then eventually I'm like, all right, I know enough about that highfalutin stuff. It's more fun to just eat in front I'm of the done. TV. Yep. Let's eat in front of the TV so again. Adorable. That's where it's at. I love it. So in this article, you have like a tray that I, so I aspire to eat more in front of the TV. And I was like, Chris, I bet Kristen's got Rex. Where'd you get that tray, Kristen? I call it my eating pillow and it is uh, marketed as a laptop desk, I believe, or a lap desk. And it's a pillow with a wipeable top surface. And that way I can sit cross-legged with my eating pillow in my lap but it's got a smooth surface where I can put my food and shovel the food in my face while I watch TV. And um, I highly recommend the eating pillow to all people. My husband, when he you eats, he just holds the, the plate by his face. I'm like, that's too much work. I don't want to have living to hold on a the plate. Edge. <laughs> so, Maura, what extremely non-work-related reason would you like to be featured in the New York Times for? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, so I... I'm also a couch eater. I am not a TV while I am on the couch. Oh, eater. interesting. Okay. I am trying. I one of my toxic traits actually is that I am not watching enough TV. Mm, I am toxic. sucked into the TikTok, and I am not watching television. Mm. So I would like to get back into that. And once again, Kristen is inspiring me. Um, <laughs> but I am a couch eater, and I also have two cats. So I imagine the angle for the New York Times would be that I am constantly fighting off cats. <laughs> While I am attempting to eat on the couch um, with varying levels of success and mostly food is spilled on me at some point mm-hmm. in the process. Mm-hmm. But tricks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Cats are thrilled, though. 
Oh my God. That's amazing. Okay. So before I let y'all go for our next segment, as I mentioned, we're going to talk to a sleep psychologist and partly what we talk about is like that stigma around night owls, but it just made me wonder, Mm -hmm. like, are y'all Kristen, you mentioned being an early riser. Do you wake up early usually? No, I'm only doing it because it's summer and it's so ungodly hot out and I need to go on my daily (laughs) walk or I get a little antsy if I don't have a walk every day. I hear you. But in my perfect world, I go to bed around midnight and I wake up around 930. That's my dream schedule. Beautiful. What about you, Maura? I will go to sleep at any time. Like if you give me 15 minutes right now and a blanket on the floor, I'll go to sleep. (laughs) I I will go to sleep. I respect it. (laughs) So left to my own devices, I would prefer to not be a morning person. But like Kristen, it is a necessity for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, But truly, I will sleep anywhere at any time for (laughs) any reason. How much sleep do you like to get in a given night? I mean, optimally, we're looking yeah. at 10 yes. hours, oh, 10 to 11. Nice. I love it. We're That's all the dream. sleepy girls. It doesn't happen, but I, I would love for it to be the case. I, I, I like to get girl. between 9 and 10. I just, It yeah. just feels right. Yeah. 8 is not enough. No, it's <laughs> not. <laughs> well, uh, thank you both very much for coming on. I hope you both sleep beautifully this evening and just forever. Oh, my gosh. Likewise. Thank you so much for having us on, Greta. Thank you for having us. In just a minute, we are going to talk all about sleep. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. For our Nerdy Job series, we have explored niche, curious professions and the passionate nerds who create some of the things we love most. We have peered into the lives of everyone from a board game creator. I'm a big Excel geek, and that is definitely something that played into like designing a deck of 170 cards that are actually based on bird characteristics to an opera lighting designer you know the, one of the first things that you really need to learn is getting making sure the light is hitting the things that you want it to hit to an animator i almost say like whenever you animate something correctly it does feel like you're kind of like playing god and when we asked nerdette listeners to tell us about their own nerdy jobs we heard from someone whose nerdery is all about one of my favorite activities so i'm jennifer munt i'm a sleep psychologist at northwestern If you're at like a party meeting new people and you tell them what you do, what's their typical reaction? What everyone says is, oh, you should do a case study on me that or you should study my family. Everyone thinks it's this very original joke. And if you've ever sat next to a psychologist on an airplane and said that, we've heard it many times. (laughs) So funny. I had no I would never say that. I feel like my I would be more likely to probably clam up and like, oh, okay, good to know. That is true. We also get, oh, are you analyzing me right now? And the answer is yes, because we can't turn it off. But not in a judgy way, but just just noticing things. 
Jennifer sees patients with all sorts of different issues from insomnia to nightmares or sleep eating or sleepwalking. Her focus is really on behavioral treatment. So instead of prescribing medications, she's using techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy to guide patients through changing their actions and thought patterns in order to improve their sleep. She is such a sleep fanatic that she took it upon herself to write the Wikipedia page on behavioral sleep medicine. So when Jennifer reached out, Nerdette producer Anna Bauman and I had to go visit. We headed downtown to Northwestern Memorial Hospital's Behavioral Sleep Medicine Lab to take a look at the world of sleep psychology. Basically, this side is like the exam rooms where patients come in for their appointments, and then this side is oh, wow. the bedrooms. These are actual bedrooms. Yeah, it's pretty much like a hotel. So, And you'll notice all these rooms are uh, on the inside away from the windows, so it's like quiet because patients come here, obviously, and sleep overnight. It's really lovely. This is a nice hotel. Yeah, they used to have <laughs> snacks here. I think the snacks aren't here anymore. How's <laughs> the mattress, Anna? It's pretty good. I would sleep on that. <laughs> The walls are like a really neutral, deep brown. It is perfect for the makings of a dark cave to sleep in. In the corner, there's a CPAP machine and a bunch of equipment with wires that you can attach to the sleeper's head in order to make measurements throughout the night. Um, You'll notice there's a camera here. So in addition to monitoring like your breathing and your EEG, actually looking at someone to see like, are they sitting up? Are they getting up and walking? The sleep technologists are actively monitoring that. So they're watching Mm -hmm. live and monitoring everything. And they might be coming in to check in the patients or confirm whether someone's awake or not. Down the hall, past the quasi-hotel rooms, there's a little office room lined with computers so that people can monitor the patients overnight. So they're all home sleeping right now. But yeah, at nighttime, this would be filled with our technologists. So they're the ones that come in and get the patients all ready to sleep. You can see there's a couple screens at each workstation because they're monitoring more than one patient at a time. And what's funny is I don't think I've even met most of our sleep techs. Like occasionally I might see someone just as they're leaving for the day, but usually they're home and asleep by the time we even get into the clinic. It may seem counterintuitive that technologists would stay up all night helping other people sleep through the night, but Jennifer says a lot of them are probably naturally night owls, which is perfectly okay. Yeah, there's this internalized self-stigma that, you know, it comes from society, right? All this rise and grind, kind of this this idea that it's virtuous to get up and take a cold shower at 4 a.m. and start your day, and and there's just nothing better about that, right? Night owls are very productive at night when other people are sleeping, so, you know, why don't we consider those of us that are sleeping at night lazy? Like, it it just doesn't make any sense. That reminds me of a stupid reel I saw on Instagram the other day where it was these little cartoons, and one said, I thought you said you were interesting, but all you do is lie around in bed all day. And then the other one said, I said I'm into resting. (laughs) I haven't seen that. I'm surprised one of my sleep friends hasn't said that to me because we're we're always sending each other the reels and the TikToks that are about sleep. I love that you have sleep friends. Oh, yes. We we have a Slack channel so we can message each other. There's been a lot of stuff about the agenda of big morning and stuff like that, which (laughs) I really enjoy. It turns out a lot of what is considered common knowledge about sleep has some really big holes in it. For example, we have all heard how important it is to get eight hours of sleep. But that's actually one of the things that Jennifer wants us to unlearn. Most adults need somewhere between seven to nine hours, but some people do fall outside of that. The broader range is like six to ten. So most people seven to nine, possibly six to ten. So if you're within that seven to nine range, that's very normal. 
don't worry about it. How much sleep do you like? About seven and a half hours. That's pretty good. I like nine. Recently, Jennifer has noticed an uptick in conversations about sleep and productivity. She says it's great that more people are thinking about sleep. Even I have some of the sleep gadgets that people obsess over. I think my sunrise alarm clock has changed my life. But Jennifer thinks it's really important not to get carried away. I hear a lot more now that people are tracking their sleep with devices. Is this concern about getting enough deep sleep or REM sleep? And first of all, those are two separate stages. So a normal, healthy adult is going to spend most of the night in kind of medium sleep, stage two sleep. So even if that tracker was accurate, you shouldn't be spending most of your night in deep sleep. It's actually really normal and healthy that you're spending most of the night in lighter sleep. Above all, the thing that Jennifer is most passionate about letting people know is simply that sleep psychologists exist. And there are solutions to the problems that are making you toss and turn at night. It breaks my heart when I see people who come in and they've been struggling with a sleep condition for decades and they say, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known about this sooner and I didn't know this existed or I didn't know there was treatment for this. So it's out there. You just have to get to, yeah, find, find the right provider. Are there any other, like, is there anything you want to add or that you feel like we haven't gotten to yet? So I do have book recommendations because (laughs) (laughs) I know you love books and I do too. And of course I listen to your podcast to get book recommendations. So I have, I have sleep books. Okay. So I have a fiction and a nonfiction. Okay. Um, So the fiction one is by Karen Russell, who wrote uh, Swamplandia and Orange World. So she has this little novella called Sleep Donation. So it's basically about an insomnia epidemic and people are able to donate sleep the way you can donate blood. And kind of like all of her books, it's like a little bit unsettling and creepy, um, but it was very good. So Sleep Donation is a good fiction book about sleep. And a nonfiction book that I think is great is called When Brains Dream. And it's written by a couple of uh Big sleep researchers, um, Antonio Zadra and um, Robert Stickold. And so they've done a lot of research for years and years on sleep and dreams. And this is a book that I think is written just sort of for anyone. It's not like written in like for just for academics or clinicians. It just kind of presents all this really interesting information about about dreaming and sleep. And they talk about nightmares and all these interesting aspects of dreams. And, and so I think that's a really interesting book if someone just wants to learn more about sleep and dreams. All right, that's it for this week. If you missed our book club conversation from earlier this week, I highly recommend it. I talked to Andrew Leland. He is the author of the memoir, The Country of the Blind. It is such a phenomenal read. I cannot recommend it highly enough. So check out that conversation and then join in the conversation later this month. We're going to record our discussion on August 21st. So read the book and then record your thoughts on your smartphone and then email that file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. I am just super excited about this one, y'all. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And Brendan Banazak is our executive producer. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. 
and listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.